This is Wales. Bangor, Newport, Carmarthen, Rill, Bills Wells, Northwest, Aberdare, Port Madog, Colgan, Bridgend, Aberavon, Wrexham, Merthyr, Neath. This is Wales.
Hi, George. Thank you so much for spending time with us this evening to talk about your music to date. I've got to say, when I saw you play at Focus Wales in Wrexham, I was absolutely blown away by your music. But how did you get into music in the first place? Well, I used to sing for my mum and my dad when I was little. You know, obviously we sang at Christmas all the carols. And of course, they were in Polish, being a Pole, born in Wales. And so, and then... My mum would get me to sing You Are My Sunshine for her because she loved that song. And when I went to the big school, so as to speak, to Severian, um, I joined the kind of music group and started singing opera at first. But when I was seven, my brother came home with a guitar, with a Rosetti that he'd borrowed from his girlfriend's brother. So I had a tinkle on that and thought that was really cool. It was white. So you can imagine that was very exciting to see a white guitar because I've been watching people like Marty Wilde and you know, all those people on, on Oh Boy and those programmes, you know, Six Five Special. Yeah. So I think that was my main influence, that my mother was listening to opera and singing to me in Russian, and my brother was listening to rock and roll, and it was a kind of culture clash. So by the time I kind of got to school, I was doing a bit of opera. And for the first three years, I, I, I was in the uh, magic flute, and then I was in the gondoliers and played Gionetta. I was playing female parts because I was a treble. And then I became, I was asked to play Susanna in The Marriage of Figaro. At another time, we'll go into all the detail of that, but suffice it to say, the headmaster let me grow my hair. So that was an amazing thing at Catholic grammar school. So my sister lent me some tights and a, and a bra. We'll leave it at that. And then I was rested and didn't know why. And they were resting because apparently the times had been to have listened to this fantastic treble. Nobody told me that, of course, and I'm glad they didn't. Otherwise, you get very big-headed about things like that. And when you're young, and I loved to sing. So I said to me, Dad, can I have a guitar? And that was like on the Thursday night at like nine o'clock. He was working 12 hours and stuff at a cable factory near Old Trafford Football Ground. And he just kind of looked up from his suit and said, yeah. And so on the Monday, on the Saturday, he came home at 12. We went up and down Oxford Road to Johnny Roadhouse and... Jim Reno's and Mammy Locks. And my dad tried every single acoustic guitar that's ever been made. <laughs> and I've stood in the corner fuming because I wanted electric.
So you, you can clearly remember the first time that you picked up a guitar? Yes, yes. Yeah, my dad had a little mandolin in the front room that he carried through the Second World War that he'd got in uh, in Naples and in Sicily, that he'd bought it in Sicily because he was in the Eighth Army. So he buys me this guitar about quarter to five and, and I go home grumpily on the bus because I wanted an electric, you know. I'd seen this 0321 Japanese electric guitar because everybody in that you know, Pete Townsend's playing an electric and the Beatles are playing electric. Anyway, about two weeks later, my brother my brother says, how come you're not playing the guitar, George? So I said, well, my dad bought me an acoustic and I wanted an electric. So he said, how much did it cost? So I said, uh, £8, 10 shillings. He said, do you know what your dad's wages are? So I said, no. He said he gets £10, 5 shillings a week. He's gambled 80% of his income on the off chance that you might play the guitar and from that day to this i play the guitar i respect to my mum and dad who had that much faith nothing to do with showtime but they thought it was something i'd love to do what an amazing story and was i mean i'm guessing what your brother said to you was a bit of a life-changing moment as well absolutely absolutely and uh, he was always a fan he was an enormous rock and roller you know, Little Richard, Fat Storm, you know, all that stuff he's playing. And, you know, when I'm eight, he comes up with a whole lot of shaking going on. And we had an old radiogram and I must have played it about 200 times. And uh, I couldn't believe it when I saw uh, Jerry Lee that he looked like my dad. I thought he was going to be like 17, but he always looked grown up, Jerry Lee, you know what I mean? So, And then, you know, obviously, 13, with friends, we formed a band at 13, you know, and we start playing Not Fade Away. And I can't play bar chords. So I start writing quite early because I can't play You Really Got Me because it's barcodes. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I really love it. And I go to see the Kinks in in in, uh, in Eccles near Manchester, uh, a Broadway to cinema. And, it's, you know, they come on playing Got Love If You Want It. You know, so cool, you know, and such a great songwriter, you know. It inspires you to want to play, you know. And when you can't play, fortunately, the songs started coming. You know, at 13, I was writing and they kept coming. the hall and it's all down to his study and a boy like a shade with his eyes so afraid and it's all down to history And the man with the grain Holds them fast like a chain Round the heart 
Cross their hands to the brain And they fall And they slide And they can't seem to rise Cause they're tied By a line that's been drawn So they turn us all on one on one, son on son, gun on gun, child on child, tribe on tribe, and they wait. And they wait on a reservation that they hate And it's all down to history And who am I to say it's all down to history Cause with the head cleaners it's all down to history the famous story and i've got to refer to it because everybody says uh, and you mentioned the chords that that famous line in sultans of swing guitar george he knows all the chords was inspired, inspired by you well i have to be perfectly honest here i can't put my heart on it right we did a gig long before they became famous i was in a band called the out and we had a single out a few years after that but there was a guy called dougie james who ran a venue in manchester called rafters and rafters was the sister or brother gig to eric's in liverpool so on thursday they played eric's on friday they played rafters on saturday they played eric's on sunday they played rafters because it was kind of new wave punk thing happening but dougie had the venue seven days a week so he started doing things on monday and tuesday and saw me in a bookies, because I was working out of bookies. He said, bloody hell, George, uh, what are you doing here? I said, well, I work here. He said, well, I'm just opening this place. Would you come and play on Monday and Tuesdays with the out? So I said, yeah, of course. So first time it was Heavy Metal Kids, Gary Holton. And then the next night was British Lions. And the next night after that, the next week was Krakatoa and Sastafras. And then a great band from Edinburgh, who I never, ever saw again, called Café Jacques. Right, they were fabulous, and they set up in a way: bass player, 
drummer, keyboard, and then guitarist on the left. And it was a really interesting way of performing their music. And I never heard anything about them again. The next night, a band called Dire Straits. I don't know anything about them. I walk in and the sound check in, and it's amazing. It's like listening to JJ Cale. It was like, this guy's phenomenal. And I'm saying to Joe, the singer, blooming heck, have you heard that? Because we were hearing chords, 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 you know? And uh, off they go. We sound check. They come in halfway through the show and listening to us playing. And then after the gig, he comes over and said, that's a fantastic guitar sound you've got there. I said, what are you playing? I said, well, it's three pieces of five-eighths plywood. It's made by the bass player in the band, Chris Daniel, who is sadly no longer here. And he was building himself a jazz bass. He had a precision bass, but he couldn't afford a jazz bass. So he'd made himself this body. And uh, what had happened was just prior to that, about probably a year prior to that, I'd had a Rickenbacker for a little while, which is amazing. Me with an expensive guitar. <laughs> so the story then goes, he plays the guitar. He comes up and says, what an amazing neck. And he said, what a fantastic, if you ever want to sell the neck, I'd love to play. It's just beautiful to play. And I said, well, I can't sell it to you because it only costs £18. But because you're such a great player, I'm prepared to give it to you. But it's not a trophy because those songs that you heard that I've played tonight wrote the song with me, not plugged in at night. That's how special it is. And somebody's made that guitar for me. And you're an amazing player. You're going to be massive. You're going to be a massive star. So it's not a trophy to hang on the wall. It's an integral part of my songwriting and those songs you heard tonight. Well, I can't take your guitar. So, well, I can't sell it to you. Anyway, they went and played the gig and off they went. And then sometime later, about four or five months later, I got a phone call saying, just heard a song about you, George. And I'm saying, really? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's by this band called Die Straits. So, of course, I listened to it and it kind of remarkably kind of has a bearing to me. But I've got a feeling. I'm not absolutely certain. I think probably he wrote it. It's a lovely myth, you know, and everybody in the mother would like to believe that Batman actually exists. I think that's what it is.
finds me Slumped behind the door She finds me With my face inside my coat She finds me How do the songs come to you? Where, where do you start with them? Do you know, it's a very interesting thing. Some things are from some experience that I've experienced. Some things are my view on things. And sometimes they just come from nowhere. It's neither an experience or anything that I've experienced or anything that I'm, I'm if kind of postulating about. You know, obviously... My dad having been in the in in the war, my mum having been in the war, I write songs that are anti-war, and I've got a kind of a, I've got that coming through me, genetic strain, if you like, through what they experienced and what they imparted to me. But sometimes you just pick up the guitar, and it just happens. Sometimes you have to work at it. But there are songs that have just come kind of out of the ether because I don't consider them mine. I think I'm just a vessel for this thing as people were 2,000 years ago when we were troubadours and came and gave people some time out or brought them some news from another place, which is originally what we were. And for that, we would get some bread maybe and a hay to sleep on. And if you were really lucky, maybe a pretty girl would keep you warm that night. And then the the following night, you'd walk another 15 miles and be playing somewhere else because we weren't kind of driven by the coin. We were kind of, we were the media of the time, if you like. So I could tell the people in, let's say, Nutsford tomorrow what had happened in Widdenshaw tonight. People weren't driven by success. They were just people who were kind of if you're vessels for the, for the music. Well, one, I mean, one thing that, that I took home from that that live performance you gave was the messages in your songs, because as you, as you said, anti-war, there was a lot about respect and caring for each other and looking out for each other. And it's a really strong message. And I think as an artist, it's great for you to be giving that message out to the audience. I'm trying to tell them things they already know because they're already doing those things. And for them to kind of feel not that, sometimes people feel they're the only people doing it. It's like you and I Zooming now. All over the world right now, there's about 50,000 people doing what you and I are doing, trying to make it better. What we're trying, what you're trying to do is impart your love and my love 
for other people to hear and hopefully think, oh, well, there is, there's hope. That's why it's so great at St. Giles. Hundreds of thousands of people have been into that church with hope that it would be better for them or for somebody else. And people prayed for that. So, of course, you go in there. There's no archery. It's like full of hope. It's, it's kind of how can you not perform to your best and give of your best? I think sometimes sincerity can be can be a bit not disarming, but can make people be feel a bit resistant. Right. The only reason you can see me and by seeing me, seeing me inside is because you're already there. That's why you can see me. Otherwise, you wouldn't say, what's he going on about? You already believe those things. And all I'm saying is, so do I. I want everlasting peace for the world. Because if they all get it, I get it as well. So it's like, it's not that altruistic. It's kind of, we all win. And that's unfortunate that the songs came through me in spite of success commercially, because that wasn't what drove me. I want people to feel, to be able to walk home on their own like I did through Moss Side and Wally Range. We're talking about places where there were riots. Michael, strangers crossed me across the street and gave me threatens to buy a lolly. All right, son, on you go, got you across the street. And I never saw him again because it was a collective responsibility. And I think I said that in the church. That's fair. And I think, and I think some of the musicians are resistant to the fact that you're saying, you know, not everybody, but sometimes, hang on, how can it be that nice? I'm the nicest person in the world. And of course, you know, you, you've come across it with people where sometimes they are very much like you. It's not that they're not like you. And I'm a continuity person. I'm, I'll be gone. Why did I talk about Igloo Fires? Why did I talk about Josie and all that? Because because they're great. They, they, what's, what's the point of me talking about plectrums and what I've done? And I've done amazing things. Yeah. 
Okay.
you mentioned your your first band, uh, yeah. the Act. Yes. And, but, you know, you've played with some great bands as well. I briefly worked for just about a couple of weeks with 10CC. Peter Williams and Terry Williams, two Welsh people you probably know. Peter, of course, is now no longer here. Very sadly died. He taught me how to be a guitar tech. I was opening for a band called Sad Cafe, an astonishing band from Manchester. I mean, of, of its rock style. Peter was their guitar tech and they found out after about the third or fourth night, that he had too many people to look after because it was a seven piece. So the band, we were opening for them as they are, said, well, we'll get George in to be another tech. And then what happened is Peter gets a job for the only time I believe that he ever worked with Terry in a, when Terry got the job with Meatloaf. So they said, we need a guitar tech. So Terry says, I know just the guy. So Peter, you know, so the awful thing is, of course, I walk into the room in uh, Copenhagen to Terry Williams and like, it's Guitar George and I'm saying no no don't tell him that he'll be using it every night which is what he did and it's lovely I'm on that really lovely video from um, Wembley with Meatloaf playing uh, on Promised Land and we play a solo together so you know it, and I went he asked me to go and write for him because there was some difficulties between him and Steinman he heard a couple of songs, so I went over to Stanford and uh, flew over and was there for six weeks, you know, got into the studio and stuff. With I'm, I'm the luckiest man in the world. You're so genuine about it. I mean, when, when I saw you play your set live, it was you just radiated joy and happiness. And that's something to really cherish because it lights up the audience. I, I'd like to think that I am the same person on and off the stage i'd like to think that i'm just i have no problem with people and if people have given me the one thing that they can't get back which is their time to listen to my music that's come through me then of course i'm going to try and engage with them because i think it's important to not get into i think i've said it on this isn't showtime, me coming out and talking to you. This is how it was round the campfire. I couldn't be showtime at a campfire. I was just asked, George, give us a song and lift our spirits or, you know, remind us of our... That's what we did. And if we lose that as performers, if we separate, you will find that many of those enormous and very successful artists are very, very personable as well. Because they're also shocked that they've got to that level because they were just walking to Nutsford as well with a guitar over the shoulder. They didn't expect it to turn into what it has become, which is wonderful because it reaches lots of people. But I think the important thing is tell the truth. Those 7.5 billion people really know about Bull. My mum told me that when I was little. My dad told me that. George, just be yourself. Tell the truth. And they said, not everybody's going to agree with you. Not everybody's going to like you. But they'll know that you're telling the truth. And that's what I said to, 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 to you know, the, the folks from Igloo and, and Josie. I said, that's all you need to do. Because if we go to another country and tell the truth, even if they don't understand what we're singing because of the words, because it's not their language. 
if it's coming from the heart, people go, oh my God, what's she singing? It sounds amazing. And why do I know that? Because I've done it. I've had people run across the room and say, oh my God, the guru is here. And that's no self-aggrandizement. Can you imagine? Somebody runs through the Ross Theatre shouting at the audience, go listen, stop talking, the guru is here.
take your test And I'm still impressed If you're alright Then we're all worked with Pablo Moses and I opened for the Mighty Diamonds in all the black venues in the UK. So there's me and Karen and 4,000 black people. Go on, George, you're cool. So I kind of, I'm playing in Louisiana and the Zillionaires, really old band with suitcase amps, right? Guys in the 70s coming up and shaking me hand. And I'm using, in Death in the Nile, I use the N-word and they come and say, Man, you're so cool. And I'm not saying it in an rising. I'm saying people recognised what I was trying to say. And as I said in the church, I write three kinds of songs come through me. This is the absolute truth, Michael. They either say, stop fighting, like Manchester Boys, Death in the Nile, Miracle, Bring Me Fire. Or they say, love each other with a smile, Blue Guitars of Texas, all these things. Or do you want to dance? Which is like, never fall in love again, you know, which I played on the night. Yeah. And I said, if we stop fighting and love each other, we can dance all the time. Because obviously the fighting doesn't work. That's all I'm about. That's all I'm about. And I'm loved. Michael, people say to me, I love you, George. Can you imagine what that means, that actual word? 
from strangers and fans, and of course, Karen and Vienna and Maura and my family, to be told you're great and fantastic and marvellous. That's wonderful. To be told that you're loved, people saying love is all. And some musicians and creatives are told all the time and they don't always hear it. They can't hear it. Amy Winehouse, she couldn't hear how many people were saying they loved her. And they used that word. I love Amy Winehouse. I love her. She's amazing. I love her. And yet she couldn't hear it. And I feel that possibly if they'd have taken her to Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital and there was a little girl, four or five years of age, with a bandage on her head, on the run-in, looking up at Amy and saying, I can see where you are, because, of course, when people are dying, they can see quite clearly, because everything is really focused, the ones that are working. And she could see where Amy says, I can see where you are. Have you got anything for me? Because I'm on the run-in. And all that Amy might have experienced up until that point went, oh, my God, I've come here. This is what I've come here for this moment to sing for this child. And maybe, maybe she might still be here with us with that moment. What a loss. What a gift. Because people, because they don't know that they're loved. Some people never hear that they're loved. I have no problem with people. I said that on the night, but I make people nervous because I'm kind of quite open. What else is there to be? I'm just a kid in big clothes. I'm running up with me drawing.
I think that the young people, they're dealing with things that perhaps I didn't deal with. So I respect what they have to say because they know the new ways. Me, I know where the quicksand is. And if I don't tell them about it, they'll fall in. And then they may not get to bring their message. So I don't preach it. I'm just saying, mind your foot there, love, because it's like long ago, there was nothing to do with money, what we were doing. We were just troubadours. We were wandering players who brought some salt, brought some news, made people happy and danced for a little while, perhaps told a tale from gone by. And people loved us for that, you know. I would say that's what that's what I believe. But I'm not saying that that's the way. That's how I realised that some people just go into the business because they want the stardom or they want the money. I can't see that being the reason. There was no stardom and money 5,000 years ago when you were a wandering player with your loot or whatever. You got some straw and you got something to eat and maybe a piece of silver or a ruble or a kopeck. And then when he came back two years later, he's here, he's here. Come on, everybody. As opposed to everything five minutes. People get dampened. And hey, that's just every child dances. Every child draws. Every child sings. If you're creative, you won't be destructive.
How do you think the music scene has changed since you first started? Well, there are more people in as much as there are many, many more creatives because perhaps they didn't have to convince their mums and dads, right, that this is a good thing to do, right? In my, at my time, my, my friends had to kind of convince their mums and dads that it was good to do. But, of course, a young musician today saying he's going to play at Glastonbury, can I do me T-shirt? You've seen it. You've seen the commercial. And his mum says, yeah, but we didn't wear T-shirts when we went. You know what I mean? So if you've got that affirmation from your parents, right, who aren't pushing you or stopping you, then that gives you a quiet confidence. And maybe that's what I got. Maybe that's what I got from my mum and dad. So when people were fighting to be first or going on last, I'd just say, on you go. And sometimes the people who are the most desperate do get some success. We can go. You've probably got your list of people, right? Who, how come we never got to that point? Because there are other people who will push you out of the way. This, it's the nature of people for food. What's that great statement from the Northeast? Shy bands getting out. But everybody gets something if you share it. It's how you perceive things, you know. And, and I think that my mum taught me that at 13 when I'm singing in the band. And, you know, she said, don't sing. Let Teddy sing. But I'm a singer, mum. She said, you don't know who's bringing the clues. I said, what do you mean? She said, somebody's going to write the song, the piece of music that's going to stop us all fighting evermore, which is why I encourage. Because it's as likely to be you that writes it as it is my neighbour. So just encourage, because everlasting peace is what we all really want inside. I think so. And when people are unhappy, bring them a little bit of light. Tell them where the quicksand is. Encourage people. Nobody needs to be told when they've missed a penalty. They've got to live with that. You don't have to. You know, it's too easy to kind of say, yay, that's not it. That's not what it is. Tell people when they've done well or when they're trying. And when I say about being children, when we see little children running, right, and somebody's 93rd, we still cheer them on because they're doing their very best. Well, people are just the same. There's no kind of mark, you know. I love people. That's what it is. I love what they do. I feel honoured to be a to be able to be a creative amongst all those people who are doing extraordinary things every day. You know, there was two police women who went to Cregan's house and he threw a grenade at them and shot them in the face. And I get invited to play at their memorial concert with a piper. <laughs> you know. So playing six strings in a plectrum, I'm honoured. I'm honoured. Puts everything in perspective, doesn't it? I think so. I think it does. And you know that. You already think those things. What you heard in my music were those three messages. Stop fighting, love each other. Do you want to dance? When you, when you distill it down to that, that's what you got. Because I believe you would like that as well. <laughs> You'd like it to be like that. I'm sure everybody would really like that. And I don't think that's a bad thing to hope for. 
Dlaczego nie, 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 n
this. <laughs>